a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in to the It's Utah's World podcast. Tom Hackett, Steve Bartle, with you guys as always. Thanks for joining us, man. Days are ticking by. Uh, Steve, let's start with you. Where, so you're in uh, Hurricane, or is it Hurricane? How do you pronounce it? Uh, I believe it's Hurricane, uh, but I, I, it's spelled Hurricane. Yeah. Uh, pronounced Hurricane because we're Utah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm the. Uh, but yeah, I'm down south here in southern Utah. Uh, just yesterday and today, there is a, uh, a little, uh, what am I trying to say? A high school showcase camp Nice. put on put on by the guys at PTP Sports, primetime Polynesian sports. And so nice. a lot of kids from Hawaii, from there's kids from St. Louis back east. Uh, from, oh, pe- people have flown in for this. Yeah, yeah, no, wow. I've I've been surprised. Yeah, a lot of kids from California. There were a couple kids from Chicago. A uh, lot of kids, a lot of representation from across the country. I was quite surprised to be honest, but uh, there is a lot of talent um, and a lot of talent that even even Utah is recruiting. Uh, nice. A lot of promising players. So it's uh yeah, it's it's been a, a good day, and we'll be back at it. I'll be back at it today. Uh, they'll be doing some eleven on eleven work while I'm down here today, so that'll be fun. Nice. So I um and to more important uh, subjects, of course, I saw you tweeted. If you don't follow Steve, I would highly recommend it on Twitter at sbartle two four seven. You tweeted, uh, you know, asking recommendations for golf courses. Were you able to get out yes. last night? I was not able to do any any holes, but I went to Copper Rock out here in in Hurricane and. Wow. I, I only, I did the, I only, you know, I went to the driving range. That's all I was able to do. That's all the, the time that I had. I didn't realize I would be this occupied uh, with work stuff. Uh, but Copper Rock is fantastic. Beautiful looking course. It's under a lot of construction right now. Uh, but uh, really, really like what I saw there. Hoping to maybe hit up Sand Hollow for nine today or something like that. I don't know. We'll see. Nice. Well, that's, Exciting, uh, nonetheless. We do have a, a pretty uh, big show, uh, hopefully, yeah. anyway, for you guys. Uh, as the days continue to tick on by and Utah and Arizona nears ever more closer, uh, Nate Wade Subaru is still the proud sponsor of this podcast, and it would be rude of us not to mention them off the get-go. Just, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, a hair... Uh, a few minutes, really, from downtown Salt Lake City, the oldest Subaru dealership in North America. Our friends at Nawade Subaru uh, are, are, are as good as it gets um, for so many reasons. And uh, I, look, I, I know I've said this before, and I'm sure I'll say it many more times moving forward. But just just next time you go for a drive, take a peek at the cars that are driving next to you or around you. Um, and I can just guarantee you, you'll see 
more than five Subarus, really. I mean, like there are so many Subarus on the road, Steve. It's remarkable. And there is a good chance that the Subarus you are seeing are coming from Nate Wade Subaru. Uh, They sell a lot of vehicles. And now's a perfect time with winter just around the corner. You've got to make sure that you're in a safe and reliable vehicle. Nate Wade Subaru, uh, really built for all weather conditions uh, and with snow approaching, quickly approaching, I should say. Get yourself into a vehicle that you can trust and that you can drive when winter snowstorms hit the valley. Um, Anywho. That's my little spiel on Nate Wade Subaru. Thank you to them, really. Uh, we can't thank them enough, actually. It's, it's the reason this podcast exists. So yes. we do greatly appreciate them. Uh, and they do have uh, bags of popcorn that you can get. So uh, free bags of popcorn, man. So just, you know, like, just pretend like you're interested in a car and go down there and at least get yourself a, a, an apple juice box and a bag <laughs> of uh, bag of popcorn because that uh, is, is well worth your time. Um, Steve, we, we, we have to start with Dalton Kincaid. Um, yes, we do. We just have to. I mean, like, here's the deal, okay? Here's the deal. Coach Whittingham announced this morning that Dalton Kincaid is now eligible. We spoke last week, or I should say you spoke last week, and, and explained that the NCAA had yet to clear him. Now, he, he's, he's being cleared, um, and the chatter online from yourself and others is uh, really unique, like really unique, because you don't hear about this a ton. He, he's, blo- he's, he's really, really at the forefront of a lot of Utah fans' minds at the minute. Is he, is yeah. he, is he on scholarship? Yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's on scholarship. Good. So he, yeah, he's, he's on scholarship. Uh, Whittingham announced that he was cleared today. He is a transfer from the University of San Diego. So that's that's not the San Diego State Aztecs. That's not that program. It's the University of San Diego. Yep. Uh, kind of a kind of a unique story for Kincaid um, in terms of just uh, he's uh, he's your he's like the the prototypical late bloomer in football. Um, just an amazing story. He uh, he a very good athlete, and I think this type of background is very encouraging to hear uh in high school he played on an aau basketball team yeah i won a national championship um out of nevada yeah out of nevada uh was was teammates with ucla point guard tiger campbell um so just a lot of a lot of talent on that roster and you know he his primary focus throughout high school was always basketball um Part of it was his parents didn't want him playing tackle po- football. He played a lot of flag football, but he didn't play tackle football until his senior season uh, of high school. And by then, you know, your junior year is really kind of the year where you put yourself on the map as a prospect. Um, and so he didn't get that. Uh, he didn't get that exposure. So uh, he was recruited to San Diego to play football, was yeah. given that opportunity there and and San Diego is a walk-on program. They don't, it's, it's not a, an athletic scholarship program at all. So he wasn't on scholarship there. Um, and so after two years, man, he put up some numbers at San Diego, some numbers, Tom. I don't know if you have those I, readily available. No, I do. I do. Can I share them? Yes. Go. Okay. All right. So in 2019, he had 44 receptions. 
for 835 yards, eight touchdowns, averaging 19 yards on the dot, a reception, a long of 70 yards. Now, uh, it's worth noting his 2018 stats as a true freshman. Look, he only had 24 receptions, so about half of what he had as a sophomore in 2019, only 374 yards, but he still averaged uh, 15.6 yards per catch. But he had 11 touchdowns, Steve, as a freshman. So he had 11 touchdowns as a freshman, eight touchdowns as a sophomore, 19 total touchdown receptions uh, through two years down there at the University of San Diego. So he is a red zone threat, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of the big thing when, when you're talking about him and his basketball, you know, background where he was probably the big man on his roster. You know, you're going up for rebounds, you're going up for alley oops and that kind of thing. You're you're high pointing a lot of passes, and it's that skill set that has translated really well for him to the football field and why he's he's found success as a as a big pass catching tight end. Um, and so he's put up some absurd numbers and yeah, I can't tell you, like, I don't think the University of San Diego is a big NFL uh, talent producer, like a, like a, a Utah or, or like, a, you know, some of these Pac-12 programs. But Kincaid, after two years at San Diego, was on NFL radars, put himself on NFL radars. So he's getting himself, uh, he's putting himself in, uh, you know, just – a really good situation in San Diego. Now he comes to Utah where Andy Ludwig is transitioning to more of a tight end has transitioned. Obviously he's made that transition um, to a more tight end friendly offense. And you add a player like Kincaid to a group of Brant Keithy, Cole Fotheringham and Thomas Yasmin, as well as Ali'i Nui Matalolo. Man, that is a fantastic group of tight ends that really give you a lot of versatility um, where you can do some unique things both in the run game and the passing game. But these are all really, really good players um, and, and just bring a lot of talent to the table, which it sounds like they've all made progress in their own individual games. And so it's just kind of exciting, the the combination of you know Coach Ludwig combined with the talent that they have in the program. And it's just really exciting to see what they're going to do this season. It's most likely the deepest tight end group that Utah's ever had. It's arguably the deepest wide receiving core that Utah's ever had. You could also argue it may well be the deepest running back group that Utah's ever had. Now I, now I understand Utah's had, um, Really, really good running backs, more recently Zach Moss. But this group is filled with talent. I mean, they've got four, three or four guys that are going to play significant minutes this season that all offer uh, something new to the program. And and based on um, essentially scenario, right, kind of Mm -hmm. down and distance, if you will, that will warrant the running back who's in there at the time, uh, they've got their quarterback. My, 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 my concern, Steve, my, my one concern is the offensive line. Uh, and I'd love for you to 
to to try and I guess uh, make me feel more at ease when it comes to the offensive line. Look, the game's won in the trenches. There's just no mm-hmm. denying that. And you can have you can have all the the, the skills skill set in the world on the outside. You can have the best running back in the league, but if you don't have an offensive line, it's just hard work. Why is this offensive line going to live up to expectation in your opinion? Yeah, you know, this, the offensive line, all eyes are on the progress of the offensive line. I, I think, you know, it's important I don't like to that word. <laughs> what word? Progress. Progress. <laughs> you don't like progress? We don't like making progress? Why don't you like that word? I I need you know like I I need I need an offensive line that's that's sure progressing Steve but <laughs> but at the same time I need them to be formidable I need there to be chemistry and I need them to demand um, the intensity that any good offensive line demands. Well, and, and so and and to that point, I think with the group that they have returning. Um, there is that chemistry that it, there is that familiarity with each other. And I think the offensive line is such a unique position because it is five individuals, but it's five individuals that have to, that have success and failures as, as one, right? Like they all work together uh, and they all have to understand each other's assignments in order to have success um, as a group. And I think, when you have two guys that are new to the offensive line that are young, like Utah had in Braden Daniels and Simi Moala, you've got a guy in Nick Ford that has has played a role um, and, and started a, a handful of games uh, before last season. You throw those guys into the mix and, you know, there's just that, that lack of chemistry. There's that lack of, of understanding everybody's responsibilities. Whereas this year, all of those guys return. There's a, a deeper understanding of assignments, of responsibilities for yourself, like what you have to do, but also for the guys next to you. And, and that's why, you know, experience is so important and so valued at the offensive line position because it, it, it means that you've got guys coming back that have learned from mistakes, that have learned from others' mistakes, that have learned responsibilities through and through and through. They've gotten reps time and time again. And I think that is the biggest reason for optimism is just it's it's so hard to, to really kind of explain it, but just that year under your belt and what you learn having gone through the process for a year with the guys next to you and, and building that trust, I think that is the biggest difference from you know, a bunch of first year starters to a group that is returning for their second year together. It's just that chemistry um, that you have with one another. And then, you know, to, to further the point here is that Utah's improved their depth um, from last year to this year, an unbelievable amount. Um, Whittingham talked about having 11 or 12 guys that they feel are capable of playing at a Pac-12 level I can't remember, you know, we talk a lot about the depth at running back and the depth at tight end and it it being the best we've ever seen. I don't think I've ever heard Whittingham talk about having an offensive line group have 11 or 12 dudes that they feel comfortable can play 
that that they can play at a Pac-12 level. And so now it's it's less about finding seven or eight guys that you feel can play at a Pac-12 level, and it's now about sifting through who you think are the seven or eight best of 11 or 12 guys that you feel are capable of playing at this level. And so that's a big reason for optimism with the offensive line is you've got returning experience and you've got improved depth where that depth was more highly touted, highly talented uh, prospects than the guys before them. So um, all of these things, obviously it's up to the starters, the group, the starting five have to showcase that progress. Um, but without a doubt, the depth has improved at the offensive line. Um, and so, you know, is this group suddenly going to be at the top of the conference where they're just dominating? No, I don't, I, I don't know that they'll, they'll do that. Uh, but I definitely think that they'll improve and they'll be more consistent in terms of their play against the UCLA and, and against the Colorado and, and versus a USC and versus a program like that, where they've got, where they kind of got exposed against the higher, more talented teams. I think they will be a little bit more consistent in, in the difference of play between those types of programs. On October 9th, Utah football released their, their depth chart. Um, and I want to go from, from left tackle to right tackle, how Utah, Presuming, presumably will will line up against Arizona. Uh, at left tackle, Nick Ford, Braden Daniels, Orlando Umanya, Johnny Maia, and then at right tackle, you've got Simi Moala. So uh, when I when I look at those five players, I say I say to myself, okay, who who do I have confidence in? And I have personally, I have confidence in Simi Moala at right tackle. I thought he was actually quite impressive last year. Is he perfect? No but he's, he's more than serviceable. And I also have a fair bit of confidence in Orlando Umana at center. Braden Daniels, I was fond of, although, boy, he, he just he got exposed, in my opinion, against Oregon. I mean, look, a lot of the offensive line got exposed against Oregon, but Braden Daniels was one where you, you, you look back at some of that film and you go, my goodness, Braden, that was deplorable. You know, you, you were beating single-handedly, play after play after play. Johnny Maia really hasn't had many games in which he's been able to prove himself. So he's an interesting prospect. And then, look, I must admit, I'm, I, I'm just not that... Uh, I, I'm not looking forward... Uh, that's not the right word. Nick Ford at left tackle, I just need to see more of. He played a few snaps there last year, but immediately got moved back to the guard position. Um he struggled against Washington when he played at left tackle for uh, a series or two. So I, I just think there are so many question marks on the offensive line. And I, I must admit, I am actually, I am really quite nervous uh, for the offensive line because, because they're so important. I mean, like really outside yeah. of the quarterback position, you could argue that the offensive line is maybe the most important group of players on this Utah football roster. Or may, on any football roster. I mean, it, at the end of the day, football's turning into a game where if you can't find a way to score enough points, you're probably not going to win many games. Like, like specifically in the Pac-12, where it's so offensive-driven, you have to be able to score points. 
you know, and, and that's exaggerated, Steve, on this season when you're, you've got a defense that, sh- you know, sure is talented, but at the end of the day, they, they just don't have a ton of playing experience. Um, and that's, that's yeah. concerning because, uh, like, like it's one thing to be in the program for a while and I, I, that's fine. I get that, but there's, you cannot replicate game time experience you just can't do it i don't care how much you practice you could practice for 10 years when you get thrown in the deep end and asked to swim it's very much more easier said than done and playing time experience is invaluable and so i think this year utah is going to be relying on their offense more so than they've ever been uh mm-hmm. and it starts in the trenches on the offensive line, if you if you give your quarterback enough time to do five seven step dropbacks, uh, scour the field, go through his 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 routes, uh, and pick and pick apart defenses, then then you're going to give yourself a chance. Uh, you know, if 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 you hand the, the the rock off to your running back, and there are there are holes there and gaps for him to run through, like all of a sudden, you know, you're putting defenses on the on the back heel. And they're starting to wonder how on earth they're going to they're going to have to start bringing more pressure. They're going to yeah. drop more players back into coverage. Like whatever the case may be, you've got the advantage. But if your offensive line can't do that, then I don't know how this football team is going to win more than three or four games, um, and maybe four and two, maybe three and three. You know, maybe that's yeah. okay. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I know that Utah football. Fans have expectations to, and as they should, they have, they have all the, the right in the world to feel as though this is a team under Kyle Whittingham and this coaching staff that should be contending year in and year out for Pac-12 championship superiority. Uh, so yeah. I, I am concerned. Look, I, I think when I look at the team and, I, and I, can't, I try and break it down position group by position group, I look at the offensive line, First and foremost, and I say, they've got to show me something early, you know, to ease my concerns. And then second, secondary, I would look at, um, I'd look at the entire secondary from defensive back to safeties. Um, that, that's another group of guys that, like I, like I was saying earlier, they may be talented, Steve, you know, and that's great. Right. You want those type of players in, in the program, but they don't have much playing experience. And um, there could be some lessons learned early on for, for some of these kids to, yeah. um, to really progress and excel. But, you know, I, I just don't quite know what to expect. There's, there's so many, there's still, so I think, and, and to be fair, I think these, these unanswered questions, if you will, aren't going to be answered until week one, week two, or maybe even week three. But um, yeah. going into Arizona, you know, if I'm a Utah fan, I'm not going into the game against Arizona and assuming the outcome's going to be what it has been over the last handful of years. You know, right. I brace myself for, you know, a closer game. You were talking about this last week. I brace myself for a closer game than, than maybe what Vegas thinks it's going to be. I haven't seen, do we, do we know what the line is yet? Uh, I want to say it's 13 and a half. In favor of Utah. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Man, I, let me, let me tell you, I'm taking the under. Yeah. What do you yeah, take? I would take, I would take, I would take Arizona with that 13. I, and that's the thing. I don't. So, man, I'm with you though. I think this game is going to be closer just because 
You've got a quarterback in Arizona that returns who got playing time last year. Um, he, he sure he doesn't have a lot of talented weapons around him. Um, you know, Utah certainly has a talent advantage in terms of receivers uh, versus the secondary and what Utah has. But like you were saying, I don't think that you can replace or really account for game experience. And when you don't have that in the secondary, it's going to, you know, they, they can, they can potentially put themselves in, in some bad situations. And I think what's more difficult this year is really coming to terms with the fact that Utah doesn't have, they don't have that runway where they can build up, you know, without a conference games against a lower level competition, like an Idaho state or like a, a North Dakota, like they did in 2017, where they were able to kind of work through the mistakes, work through, uh, you know, learning experiences in their out-of-conference games. So by the time, you know, in 2017, when when a freshman Jalen Johnson and Javelin Gidry all took over, they were kind of a little bit more prepared for conference play. This year, you know, guys like Clark Phillips to Travis Broughton, they don't get that playing experience in out-of-conference and learning through mistakes against you know, lesser talented opponents, they have to hit the ground running um, from from the get-go. And, and that's just, it's going to be wild to see how that actually plays out and why I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a much closer game than we anticipate. Um, you know, obviously Arizona has their own things that they're working through. Um, they've got a new defensive coordinator and they've got to replace uh, a lot of linebackers um, that they've lost and a lot of other talented pieces, but, you know, they return enough. They've got continuity enough where they can make this a, a challenge. And, and so that's, I I'm with you. I think, you know, looking at the secondary, yes, there's a ton of talent, but just it's, it's not a typical season where, you, where coaches were able to really develop these guys and go through, uh, you know, a typical, preseason type regimen where you're preparing for out of conference games. You've got spring ball. Utah didn't even get that where that's all about learning technique and, and that kind of stuff. And so, man, it's just, it's, it's going to be wild when we're talking about how it's going to project moving forward against Arizona and, and against UCLA. I think we've learned from others uh, watching others that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of sloppy play and that's to be expected. And so, that Utah won't be immune from that. There is going to be a lot of sloppy play, um, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. You, you, you brought up spring ball, and it kind of triggered my, my memory. Um, Arizona State, Steve, they actually have their spring ball in January. It's like January, February when, right. they, when they have it. I, they didn't make it all the way through spring ball, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I believe they got like 15-odd practices of spring ball think- in. I think they got. I think they got to ten. I think right around there, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there is where they got. Nonetheless, I mean, Utah did. You, Utah got what one or two? Three, three, three. Okay, so Utah got three practices, and I know this is you know earlier in the year, and, and maybe some fans are thinking, well, that's so so long ago. Why does it matter? I'm telling you, it matters. You know, ten practices. 
you know, in comparison to three is drastic. And so, uh, yeah, no, no question that the lack of spring ball. And I would argue, I remember, you know, doing some radio hits back, back then. Uh, people would ask me, how, how does this impact Utah? And I remember my answer, and I still feel this way, you know, it, it all depends on the sort of team that you have. Like, for example, last year in 2019, if Utah, if, if, if the pandemic hit in 2019 and Utah wasn't able to, to 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 have spring ball or say they only got three practices in spring ball that that wouldn't be nearly as detrimental as what it was this year for this group uh because they had so many players that uh were playing on both the offensive and defensive sides that you know had been playing for a handful of years at that at that point you know they were experienced they were well versed they they didn't really need a ton of spring ball and look i wasn't around every spring ball practice they kind of hush the media out or at least they have the last couple of years but i i guarantee you like zach moss for example probably you know didn't even participate in in a lot of it you know especially the contact stuff he he um he probably he probably sat out and and yeah and said, you know, I've been beat up for four months, you know, just a couple of months earlier. I'm, I'm good. And coach, that's how coach Witt runs it as well. He wants spring balls of time for the kids that haven't played a ton of snaps or kids that are uh, planning on, on, on playing for the first time that upcoming season. That's when spring balls really worthwhile. And so, yeah, I think Utah struggles. Hey, um, Jaron Kump, was uh, much like Dalton Kincaid. He was discussed yeah. a fair bit this morning as well. Oh, yeah. Did, did Coach would say that Jaron Kump, who, by the way, weighs in at 305 pounds and stands tall at six foot five inches, is running gases with some of the skilled players, some of the wideouts, <laughs> defensive backs? Yeah, so... Like, obviously, we know Jaron Kump has been mentioned a lot throughout camp, right? Anytime we're, we're asking about players that have stood out, Jaron Kump is one of the first players that comes to mind. And Witt kind of elaborated, went a little bit more in depth as to what has stood out about Kump uh, this morning. Talked about him being in great shape at six foot six and 310 pounds. There's very little, little body fat um, on him at 310 pounds, which is just, that's crazy. Um, and the fact that after practice, when the team is running gassers, you know, he's running, he's keeping up with the receivers at 310 pounds. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing, I'm closer to 310 than I am to 210. Let's just say that. And I can't imagine having to keep up with Britton Covey, with Solomon Enos and Brian Thompson. There's no way I, I, I'm doing that, but, Apparently, Jaron Kump is, you know, in great physical condition. He's in great shape. And, you know, he's <laughs> – I've talked to – you know, I've talked to people and and there's a lot of optimism that he – obviously, he's going to play. We're going to see him this season. He may even earn a starting job this year, and that is remarkable. I think we've got our – you know, Utah's got themselves a really good player in Jaron Kump. Um, and I think the, the thing of it all is, is that it's his work ethic that has really kind of set him apart um, from everything else. It's his work ethic in the weight room, on the field. And, you know, he's just, he's just going to be a guy on this offensive line 
for the next few years that that Utah fans should learn to enjoy because he's going to be he's going to be a treat to watch for sure. Let me explain to you uh, how they used to run gases um, when I was there, and I don't imagine it it changed. So. Uh, the team is split up into three categories. You've got your skilled, which consists of your wide receivers, your defensive backs, and uh, I do believe safeties as well, uh, uh, as well as uh, – no. And then you've got your bigs, and that's like that's where we were. The specialists were in the bigs. Your linebackers, uh, running backs, depending on their weight, uh, is, is also potentially a big. They may be a skill. Um, and then, and then you've got your giants, and that's like the offensive and defensive line. Now, the skilled players had 16 seconds to run a gasser, which is from one side of the field over to the other side of the field and back. So it's 52-odd yards one way, 52-odd yards back. It's about a, oh, just over 100 yards. And then uh, the giant, uh, sorry, the bigs, my, my, the group I was in, we had 18 seconds, and then the, the giants have like 20 uh, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, to, yeah, to hear him, to hear Kump running with the skills. I, I mean, look, I never saw it when That's I was there. Crazy. Let me tell you. Yeah. I never, I ne- I mean, I didn't even see, I didn't even see giants running with the bigs, you know? So, right. Um, anyway, That's crazy. It's, yeah. It's, that's very impressive. When I, when I heard that I was somewhat blown away, but um, Steve, you know what? The, the hardest part about this whole thing is, you know, the, specifically, you know, from this week through to the game, you know what the hardest part about this is? Uh, I, I have an idea of where you're going, but, but what is it, Tom? The, the hardest part for us is that we both know who the starting quarterback is and we can't talk <laughs> <Yep>. about it. <laughs> yep. It's tough, man. It's That's freaking tough, tough. man. Oh, it's dear. tough. But, but I, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I, I, I don't know where I was going to go, uh, you know, and and I should probably stop talking because I've I've been known to uh, to say things that I shouldn't. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> but yeah, it's out there. It's you know, it's I don't I don't think we're you know maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> But, yeah, there's really nothing we can say. Like people are going to listen to this and be, you know, try and like, uh, you know, slow us down, put us on like times, uh, you know, times yeah. a half. You know, they'll slow it down to like, you know, listen to the podcast instead of listening. You know, most people listen to a podcast at, at normal speed or, or they'll speed it up. But I'm sure yeah. there are people out there that are listening to this section of it and they're, they're actually putting us in slow motion, you know, trying to dissect <laughs> every like, like Steve, Steve just said, it's out there. What does that mean? It's true. It, that means it's Drew Lisk, Steve. No, I'm just teasing. Um, Drew Lisk, man. Yep. Let's go, baby. There you go. No, that Bentley, look. I go. um. I Dan think we'll. Rising, let's go. I think we'll just. Uh, I think we'll end by saying uh, you and I, and I think we'll speak on behalf of of all of the fan base. Just really excited for this upcoming season. Uh, yep. And all of the, and we talked about it in the podcast, Steve, but all of those, you know, unanswered questions, if you will, that, that require answers. I mean, it's just so close now. You can touch it. You can feel it. It's on the tip of your tongue. And, um, and that excites me. Uh, there's a kicking, there's also a kicking battle going on. 
um, that we, we haven't talked about. Maybe we'll get more into that next week, but uh, I don't care what anybody says. You know, you can bash on the punting position. That's fine. But you can't be bashing on the field goal position because that is such an integral part of winning and losing football games. And I'd argue that the punting position is as well. But, you know, the, the field goal position, you actually get to, to see it on the scoreboard. The punting right. position is, is all field position. It's all real estate, you know, and a lot of fans, you know, that goes unnoticed uh, for whatever reason because most fans are daft. But anyway, that's for another time. Um, yeah, that field goal kicking battle is is fascinating me. Jordan Noyes, Jaden Redding. Jaden Redding, we saw last year, who uh, look is really quite good from inside 40 yards, but he only had a long last year of 42. He doesn't have a big leg on him, and he doesn't get right. great height on the football either. Uh, Jordan Noyes comes from England. He's got a soccer background. He's got an incredibly powerful leg. I mean, it's right up there with the likes of Matty Gay. He's just, you know, he's never really put on a helmet or pads, and so this was uh, new to him over the last handful of months and he's still figuring it out. But my goodness, when he gets onto it uh, and when he's on, you know, there's no chance Jaden Redding can compete. As of right now, I do believe Jaden Redding is uh, a hair ahead of Noyes. And part of that's just because they kind of know what they're getting at when they throw Redding out there. But, you know, you handcuff yourself a tad when you know that your field goal kick is only good from about 40 yards and in. Um, right that that can be problematic so it'll be interesting to sit to see kind of how that unfolds and where that position battle goes because because i will uh i will continue to talk about it uh and and continue to emphasize the importance of uh of that position in particular steve hey you're down in hurricane and uh i will let you be you've got a you've got a showcase you've got to get to so thanks um, I guess it's always for, for kind of taking yeah. time out of your day. Uh, how's that coffee always going time. down? Oh, it's, it's going down nice and smooth, man. Good stuff. dark blend with some, with some caramel in there. Oh, there you mm. go. Very nice. All right. Well, Hey, you enjoy that beautiful weather that uh, Southern Utah offers and we'll see you around next week. We, we, we should also note next week's episode uh, will likely be uh, a, a rather in-depth preview of, yeah. Um, of the Arizona matchup. And, and Steve, I'm kind of thinking on the spot here, but we should probably start looking at maybe doing uh, two podcasts a week during the season, uh, one earlier in the week and one uh, towards the end of the week, recapping and, and previewing uh, opponents as they come and go. But anyway, we can talk about that um, via text message and figure it out. But, okay. but that might Perfect. not be something silly. Yeah. So anyway. Hey, uh, travel safe too, because I know you're about four hours from home. So uh, yeah. tonight when you drive, make Appreciate sure, it. Make sure you've got another cup of joe ready to go. Keep your eyes awake, my friend. <laughs> All right, Tom, man. It's good to hear from you. Good to talk with you. And we'll be back at it again next week, I'm sure. So I'm I'm excited, man. I'm excited. We're, we're literally a week away from football, Tom. I'm so excited. I can taste it, Steve. See you guys next week. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. 
it was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.